I told you guys about the prayer that's on the screen. I didn't tell you who wrote it. Some of you may have recognized it. Um, this is known around the world and for more than a thousand years as the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Francis. He was born in 1181. So literally just shy of a thousand years ago was he born. Um, he is, uh, he only lived to the age of like 44 or 45. He was born into a very wealthy family in Italy. His father was a merchant who made most of his money selling cloth. And his father loved and dealt with the people of France mainly. That's where he focused most of his business, even though they lived in Italy. And um, the story, and, and, and I, what I'm telling you is a thousand years old. So we think it's accurate, but there could be some things that are not 100%. Uh, could be some things that are legend. Um, Elliot's father was out on a trip to France business trip when his wife gave birth to their son. And so she had him christened Giovanni, which is in English that would be John. And she had him named John after John the Baptist in the Bible. And it, the story goes that when the, that then when Giovanni's father got back and found out that he had a son, he was elated. When he found out that his wife had named his son without asking for his permission, he was furious because he wanted his son to be named Francesco because he wanted to honor the people of France and the, the nation of France because that's who he dealt with. So he literally, as while, while the baby was still an infant, he literally changed the kid's name. So he changed his christened name. Now back then they didn't have you know registries like we do. It was simply they christened him in the church. So he went to the church. He said his name's not supposed to be Giovanni. It's Francesco. And so he's now known as Francis. Well, this rich kid Francis was a spoiled little rich brat, and he had lots of money, and he loved clothes. And he loved to hang out and have parties. And he loved to do fun things. And he sought out adventure. And he wanted to make a name for himself. And so an opportunity came for him to go and do battle with the, uh, the fellows of his town as they were going to fight against another city in Italy. And unfortunately, Francis got captured, not killed, and was held for over a year in prison. And the, the legend tells us that Francis began to take a more reflective approach towards his life. And this was the beginning of God getting a hold of him. Um, he comes back after a year of being in prison. And then he lives. He's still enjoying his partying. He's still enjoying living the, the, the flagrant life of, of a rich kid. But he's got this thing in his heart that's drawing him, drawing him and he's not finding as much satisfaction in it. But he still wants to be glorious and have a, a name for himself. And so when the fourth crusade starts up, he decides to go and quote unquote enlist and be a crusader. Except that he can't just go with just any suit of armor. He has to have a suit of armor that has gold in it. 
And so he uses his dad's money to buy a suit of armor. His dad is furious with him spending all of this money, but he's excited about the fact that his son's going to go off and make a name for himself, and so he does it. And then Francis leaves his town in, in, in great honor with everyone going cheering for him. He's heading off to, to honor us. He's heading off to fight the infidels. He's heading. And it, the story goes that he has a dream on the first or second night of his trip. And it scares the daylights out of him. He wakes up and he's thinking that it's from God. But he continues on the trip. And he has another dream. And this time he's convinced it's of God because the dream was that he was being told, do not go to the battle. Return home. This is not for you. And so he returns home. The problem is this young man who tried to be uh, a uh, glorious has now been branded a coward by his people in his village. He now has a um, he now has a, uh, a a stigma about him, and so he begins to find solace in going to church, and he begins praying, and he's seeking God, and at some point, <coughs> excuse me, at some point, he has uh, he's riding and he's on a horse, and he sees a man that has leprosy. And he normally, and he was, he would have been repulsed by this guy. He normally was repulsed by this guy, but he felt compelled to get off of his horse and go down and embrace this leper and to kiss him. And then he received a kiss of greeting back from the leper. And then he got back on his horse and he continued on his way. And we're told in the story that that was the changing point in his life where he no longer worried about the things of this world, but that it was important for him to love and to love on the people. And all of this is God working in his life. All of this. And so he's spending more and more time in the church there in his in his in his village. And at one point in his prayers, he hears God clearly say, Build my church. And he misinterprets that. He thinks God is saying, the building in which you are staying is decrepit and falling apart. Rebuild it. Make it better. And so he literally goes to his dad's coffers and steals bolts of cloth and sells them for a great amount of money and then gives all of the money to the church so that they can rebuild their structure. Needless to say, his father is livid, and his father literally grabs him by the scruff of the neck and pulls him in front of the whole town and to the bishop, and he says, My son stole from me and gave you the money, and I'm publicly demanding that he get it back from you and that he give it back to me. And at some point, and this is where the story breaks down a little bit, it either happened right then or it happened a little bit later. Francis finally turns to his father and says, I will repay you, but I am no longer your son. And he literally strips off even the clothes that his father had bought for him and lays them, not not mean, mean mean-spirited, he just lays them at his father's feet. And he says, now I can truly say, 
I only have one father, my father who is in heaven. And then he goes on. Now this man lived a thousand years ago. How many people do you know that you could name that lived a thousand years ago? Not many. But this is one name that God has allowed to remain in our, in our minds. And these words of this prayer speak greatly to his heart of who God transformed him to be. From a, 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 a rich boy that loved to party and loved the finer things in life and loved to just make a name for himself to someone who literally gave up absolutely all worldly possessions so that he could serve God. Now, there's much, much more to his story that you can read about. We don't have time this morning to go into it. But I wanted to, to give you that understanding and these words. So I'm going to read them to us again of, of the, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Because this has, had, this has been incredibly formative for many, 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 many Christians, including myself. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me sow hope. Where there is darkness, let me sow light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying. That we are born to eternal life. Do you hear the change of heart? Someone who is totally self-centered and focused only on um, Epicurean delights. Their, their pleasure. Their things. And instead, the heart is, let me do for them. Let me do for others. Let me impart to other people. And these last statements, I don't want to be consoled as much as I want to make sure others are consoled. I don't want to be understood as much as I want others to understand. I don't want to be loved as much as I want others to feel my love. It's powerful, powerful, powerful words. Now, where is this all coming from? I prayed and asked the Lord, Give me a Bible character that you want me to talk about. And this is what God kept bringing to my mind. He's not in the Bible, God. Yes, but I want you to talk about it. And as I've reflected on Francis, and again, for those of you who aren't familiar with, with Francis, the, the Franciscans, there's now monks known as Franciscans. There are also nuns, sisters, who are known as Franciscans. And they take vows of poverty. That's part of who they are. They literally give up all their worldly goods and they commune together to serve God in whatever way that God has for them. And that's all from St. Francis's story. And again, you can read more about it later. But, but when I was talking about, talking, when I was praying about this with God, I was like, well, what in the world do you want me to say about it? And he said, I want you to just focus on the change of his heart. 
You see, there was a, a in my ministry here, I have had people who have come to me at times for counsel. And some people, it's just listening and letting them talk. Other people have needed me to speak to them. And sometimes I've had to be a little bit more direct in my in my counsel to them. Not being unkind or harsh, but just telling them how the cow ate the cabbage. Making them really face what they're dealing with. Um, I had a situation a few years back where someone called me. They were literally in a white, hot panic. Why? Because someone that they were angry with over something that had happened more than 20 years before had let them know that they planned to come to an event that this person was hosting. What am I going to do? They're coming and I don't want them to come. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want them in my life. I've divorced them from my life. I don't want to have anything to do with them. What? What am I supposed to do, Pastor? And I wasn't trying to be unkind, but I I already knew the history from previous times of counsel that I had had with this human being. And I said to this person, how much longer are you going to let them control your life? They aren't even aware that you're still upset. They're not even bothered by any of this. Obviously not, because they're planning to come to your party. But you're all twisted up inside. You're just all roiled. And this is the work of the enemy in your life. Trying to steal and kill and destroy. Why are you letting the enemy have this kind of access to you? Now, quite honestly, when that conversation ended, I wasn't sure if I would ever hear from that person again. Because I wasn't sure that they were able to receive those words. As it has turned out, we are still, they don't attend this church, but we are still in relationship. And so we're able to still have conversation, and it's cordial, and there's there's nothing bad. But I was really scared for a while. I was like, oh, they could respond really badly to what I just said. But the thing is, sometimes people just need to hear that. See, the the Bible verse that I read to the kids this morning was out of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' words to to his disciples out of Matthew chapter 5. It's verse 23. When you go to the altar, if you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your, your offering sitting right there. Go be and reconciled to your brother and then come back and make your offering. See, God says it's more important to him that we be in right relationship with brothers and sisters of the faith than we make sacrifices and offerings and pay our tithes. It's that important to God. But the focus of this is not if somebody's upset with you. The focus of what I'm talking to us about this morning is if you're upset with somebody else and you're not letting it go. As I was praying and seeking God on this, and he took me on this little path that we're doing right now, he first pointed me to this prayer and St. Francis' life. Then he pointed me to this conversation with this person and the counsel that I gave them. And then... Very clearly, he said, 
never return evil for evil. And I was like, well, that sounds like scripture. I'm pretty sure it is scripture. I haven't a clue where it's at. So I had to look it up. And if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Now, in my Bible, I have paragraph headings, if you will, that the editors have added. These are not part of scripture, but it's what the editors have said. You know, like like the first paragraph in chapter 12, it says it's a living sacrifice. Second paragraph, the second division, gifts of grace. The third section, which is 9 through 21, it says marks of a true Christian. Well, if, let, let's just read through chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this first paragraph in this section, verses 9 through 13, come real easy to me. And then if you go to verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. I actually messed up in that one a number of years ago. For those of you who have been here any length of time, you may remember we used to have a, a lighted sign out on the front of our property that we had uh, words on it. It would be cute expressions or sometimes verses of scripture. And um, We had uh, one time the folks from the rescue mission were driving out to Twin Bear Camp and they were driving by our property and literally they slammed on their brakes. Uh, the director of the camp, I mean of the uh, rescue mission, slammed on his brakes, turned around and came back down to our driveway, knocked on the door of my house and got my attention. He said, you might want to go out and check your sign. I said, what do you mean? Just go out and check your sign. Okay, thanks. And then he drove off and I went out and checked the sign. And somebody had rearranged letters to put vulgarities on our sign. So I took them down, and we put them back up. And then, then we had people do it again, and I took them down. And put them back. Then we decided, smart, we're going to now take 
strips of lexan and actually do the letters inside the church in sentences and then go out and just slide them in so that nobody can mess with them. They still did. And they literally were, were saying really vulgar and inappropriate things. And one night I went out and I saw that somebody had taken all of our letters and just broken them into pieces and dropped them on the ground. Now these things cost us a chunk of money to replace. I mean, we, we, it was like $200 to get a new set of letters. And I was just fit to be tied. And I'm, I stood out on, it was like 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night. I stood out on that driveway or right along the verge of the road. And I, I literally out loud called down curses on the person who was doing this to us. And the Lord brought this scripture to mind. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. And I had to stand out there weeping because I was so frustrated. I was like, God, why have they targeted us? They were literally shooting our sign with a gun. I was like, God, what is the deal? And the Lord said, you don't know what's going on in their world. Just bless them. Pray for them. Help them to come to an understanding of faith. Because your cursing is just going to make them pull away from me. And they don't even know you're cursing them. But the reality is in the spirit world, the, the enemy is rejoicing right now. Bless them. Pray for them. And I had to learn that the hard way. Like I said, I mean, that was, that was a life-changing lesson for me on this verse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I can do that. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. I can do that. Never be wise in your own sight. I can do that. Never repay evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, I'm not saying I struggled with this, but I struggled with the wording of this. I needed to, to look at it just to, to, to discern it. Never repay evil for evil. I get that. It's the same idea of blessing and not cursing. It's, I'm not going to be mean to you just because you were mean to me. I'm not going to throw a rock at you because you threw a rock at me. Jesus himself said, turn the other cheek. I understand that part of it. But what is Paul saying when he says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all? And as I reflected on that, what I hear Paul saying here is that when someone does evil to you, the way you respond to that evil should be evident to the world around that you're doing something quite out of the ordinary. The way you respond should be honorable. It should be done in such a way that when people look at your situation, they go, I certainly wouldn't have acted like that. I mean, I would have killed the person for what they did to me. But the end result was you did something that they hold in honor and high esteem. Sets you apart as a Christian. Gives you opportunity to give glory to God. Because when people say, how in the world did you act like that when somebody treated you the way that they treated you? You can very clearly say, in my own normal self I wouldn't have, but by the power of God through me, I was able to. 
So again, this is all talking about how we should live as good and true Christians. Verse 18, it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Of course. If somebody has something against me, I've told you this story before where God told me to go specifically and go make it right with that person. Be intentional about making it right when somebody's upset with me. I just read you the scripture out of Matthew. When God shows that somebody's upset with you, you make it right with them. 19. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. <laughs> That's a good one. Because <laughs> what that enables me to do and empowers me to say, Get him, God. Get him. Get him, God. Get him. That's not what we're supposed to do. But that's getting real close to where we really are when we're upset with somebody. See, if somebody hurts me or my family, my natural response is to retaliate. Well, I'm being told to love, to bless, to not hurt. Just let God get them. Yeah, God will get them. Put them in hell, God. Put them in hell. That's not what God is saying here. What it is saying is let God be the one to take care of you. You don't worry about taking care of yourself. Verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If for so, by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Blessing, again, blessing the one. But then we get to verse 21. And this is the one that just Stumped me. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when somebody's mad at me, it's easy, quote unquote, to go and make it right with them. Because they may or may not stop being mad at me, but at least I tried. As much as it depends on me, verse 19, be at peace with all, pe with all uh, people. Do all that you can to bless those that are persecuting you. And, and do what is right in the sight of all people. As somebody is, is angry with you or mean to you or unkind to you. What are you supposed to do when you're the one that got hurt and you're the one that's holding it against them? Remember the story I told the kid about the kids this morning with Corbin being the offended brother. Elliot wasn't offended. Corbin was offended. And Corbin, as he's... Literally comes to the point where he says, I want to build a fence so I never have to even see him again. And the carpenter instead forces a reconciliation. I'm going to be flat out honest with you. You don't need to know the, the story. You don't need to know the details. But you do need to know that God putting my wife and I as the prayer focus for this week was pretty timely. Because I have been forced by God this week to focus on someone who harmed me. I have literally said, I'll never see them again. 
And that's all right with me. I've literally said, if my paths, if our paths never cross, I'm okay with that. I jokingly said, a number of months back, when somebody asked me about this human being, well, quite honestly, I don't like them. Doesn't mean that I am sinning by not liking them. I still have to love them. Just my luck, God's probably going to put them in the mansion right next door to mine when we get to heaven. I jokingly said that. But this week, God has confronted me in my own quiet time. And I will tell you, flat out, I have avoided quiet time this week. Because every single day, I would get on my face before the Lord to pray, to read the scriptures, and God would literally say, "Mm, put the Bible away, Bob. And don't say your prayers, we're going to talk. Okay, we're done, i got something else to do. Seriously. I mean, I had read, I had prayed, I had prayed for you people, but when it came time to open the journal and pour out my heart before the Lord, nope, it's back on the shelf. See ya, I'm done. And God would not let me go. He would not let me live like this. See, I was, as much as it depends on me, being at peace with all people. I was. And I was blessing those who have persecuted me. And I was, indeed, reconciling whenever someone had something against me. I was walking that path to make sure that it was clear between me and them. But someone hurt me, cut me pretty quickly, pretty deeply, to the bone cut me. Months ago, months ago, they don't even think about me anymore. That's how close our relationship was. We're not in relationship, we never have been in relationship, except peripherally. But... The Church of the Nazarene is a very small church. And so throughout weeks and months, literally years, because I have had contact with this human being for the better part of 20 years, on and off. We're not close, but we've interacted through 20 years. But they hurt me. And I could not would not let go of that pain. And as I have dealt with my thought processes this week, I have um, I have really thought, well, God, they're the one that hurt me. They're the ones that caused the pain in my life. Why in the world do I have to do anything? And you know what the Lord said to me? How much longer are you going to let that person cause you pain? They don't even know that they've hurt you. But you're still holding on to it and you're roiling around on the inside every time their name comes up. 
else are you going to deal with this or not deal with this, Bob? And then I read the prayer of Francis of Assisi. Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. I don't have a problem with that. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. And God would not let me get past that line. Because I have prayed that prayer for years. But the way I always prayed it was, where someone else has been harmed, help me to be intentional, to reach out to them, to extend pardon to them. Whether I cause the harm or not, but help me to be intentional to help them so that they can release their pain, so that they can offer pardon to the one. And God said to me, how many more days are you going to pray this without thinking about the fact that you're the one that needs to offer pardon? I don't need to go to that human being and say anything to them because they haven't a clue that any of this has been going on. This is me. But I've carried this pain. I've carried this hurt. I've carried this injury literally to the point of saying, I couldn't care less if I ever see this Christian brother again. That's a pretty sad statement for a Christian to make. But I truly felt it. I never wanted to have relationship with them ever again. I didn't wish them ill, but I didn't want to ever have the, the rub because of the pain that it caught, hurt me on the inside. And God literally said, you can't continue this prayer because all the rest of it's good. But you can't continue this prayer until that line Dealt with, Bob. Now, it's too soon after these events. It's only been this week. I can't tell you the end result because I'm still living it right now. I'm releasing the pain. I'm releasing the anger. I'm releasing the hurt. And God willing, there might come a day when I'm in the presence of that human being and I can actually feel comfortable and I can actually be at peace. I don't know. But as much as it depends on me, I'm going to try. And where I'm weak, I'm going to depend on the Lord. And I'm going to walk this path that he lays before me. Trusting that I'm displaying the marks of a true Christian, including letting go of my own stuff. Because I was like, God, I hate it when God does that. I hate it. See, I, 
years ago, it was easy for God to slough off the, the, the stuff. Because I didn't look a lot like Jesus. So, you know, he'd rip off this part, or he'd peel off that, or he'd cut away that. And it was expected. But see, I look a lot like Jesus right now. I've been 40 plus years serving Christ. I have been submitted to the Holy Spirit of God for 40 plus years. And I think I look like Jesus pretty well. But there's still things that God has to say. Mm, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta work right here. And that's what's been going on this week. It's minor stuff, little, little stuff, but it's still an imperfection. It's still a part of me that is not Christ-like that needs to be gone. And so I have to say, yes, sir. <laughs> I have to submit. Because I committed to him 40 plus years ago that I would serve him. I committed to him 40 plus years ago that he had all of me. Even this part. And so I have to say, God, by faith, I release this to you. Do whatever is necessary to bring healing in this area. And help me, God, to do what is honorable in everyone else's sight. And to be at peace when and if the time comes that you bring this person back into my life. Closer than where we're at right now. So... I'm done. I encourage you to look at your own life. I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit of God look at your life. And then listen when God speaks to you about things that maybe you need to let go of. Let's pray.